ECU, do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Wednesday, November 8th edition of the show. We're three days away from kickoff East Carolina and Florida Atlantic in Boca Raton as the Pirates still looking for American Athletic Conference win number one of the season. Also still looking for FBS win number one of the season. One and eight. We'll get into that matchup a little bit. We will take your questions as always on Facebook, on YouTube. We're live now. We'll get to anything you got there. We're going to talk some college football, maybe some NFL. We'll also talk some Pirate hoops as the women will have their home opener tomorrow night against USC Upstate. Also, the men coming off a win over Farham College. They return home to take on Campbell this Saturday. So we'll get into all that and more with our usual Wednesday guest. He is Bobby Harward. He is back in studio despite adding another child to the family. He has made the the decision to come over and got permission from the wife to leave the house for a little bit. So first off, how is uh, – How's your sanity doing with, with uh, baby number three now here? Honestly, it's uh, about as good as I could have asked for. Um, getting some pretty good sleep. She's a chill baby. Um, my wife, Brittany, has been awesome. So thank you, Brittany, for allowing me to come on today, uh, get out of the house for a little bit. But essentially, she's been taking care of the newborn. I've been taking the older two kids, and we got a pretty good routine going. Um, both sides, the grandparents have been awesome and super helpful. Couldn't do it without all four of them so it's been uh yeah an adjustment but a fun one well, we appreciate you taking the time to stop in and uh knew that you know if we need to give you a break or do need to give you a break in the coming weeks we can definitely do that but we know we can't miss an opportunity to talk about east carolina football right now things are going so well absolutely we got to ex- expose the newborn to uh the lack of offense on saturday she watched the game and then uh we did watch the basketball game on monday night as well and saw a nice 30 point victory yeah, 30 points and things to complain about, which is always good when you win basketball games by 30. But we'll, we'll talk some hoops. I know Bobby's excited for for basketball. I do want to touch on ECU-FAU. You know, with this, the season going how it is, I know that for some, apathy may be setting in as far as, like, game preview, and they don't want to dive too much into it. But, I mean, we still got to preview the game. It's You only get 12 of these a year. I know that the Pirates have not played well to this point. They're still out there trying to win, um, and so we'll talk about that. I do want to get your thoughts on on the two-lane game, kind of maybe how maybe went how we thought it would to a degree, Bobby, 13-10. We knew EC would struggle to score given the offensive problems this year, but I said yesterday on the show, like, the culture I think is still showing. The guys are playing hard. They're giving their all. They're just not talented enough offensively this year. Just what did you make of the 13-10 loss? Yeah, I was impressed with, again – I feel like it's Groundhog Day. The uh, defense is showing. I mean, I thought they played phenomenal to hold that offense to 13 points. Um, And, again, offensively, I mean, the way that game started that first quarter, I was like, okay, I mean, this is going to be a ball game. This is going to get – you know, we may be able to surpass the 20-point threshold. Um, But then we just kind of stalled out after the first quarter, which was a disappointing – I don't know. It's kind of ready for the offseason to get here in a way and see what changes are on the horizon because it's just frustrating to watch week in and and week out. And it it is hard to believe we're in the last quarter of the season now. We're going into those last three games. Three winnable games, 
but right now we you know we haven't shown anything to prove that we'll win any of these three to be honest i mean you just it, when when you can't score and, and we interviewed alex flynn yesterday and i was i was trying to find the best we've asked these guys these same questions all year we've asked mike houston the same question 20 different ways about the offense and and i don't know i didn't do a great job of asking him, but i just wanted to ask alex flynn like do you just feel like y'all are ready to bust out or is it just like not going to happen at this point like i don't know like i was trying to figure out the best way to phrase it because like clearly they're working on it but it's just the same thing every week now they've kind of gotten to this deal where they're starting pretty good and like i mean the first quarter they look great all sides of the ball bobby i mean they look like a really good football team tulane had been dominant in the first quarter this season and ecu kind of reversed the tables on that but at the end of the day, whether it's adjustments, whether it's just lack of continuity, lack of belief, it just seems like this offense, like once they hit the rut, whenever it comes in the game, they can't figure out how to like rebound and get it back. Yeah, and normally it's – honestly, it's after one of those procedural penalties. It's like, okay, you know, we're rolling, we're moving offensively. We have a false start. We have a holding penalty, something like that. And then everybody's like, okay, here we go again, and it just powers down. Um, yeah, it, it's just – I don't know. It seems to build off of it in a negative manner. Um, you wish at some – I don't know. We've been saying for the last four weeks that you would think at some point they're going to adjust and overcome it and get over the hump, and it just hasn't happened yet. You've seen some different things. They're trying to use the bubble screen game and some of that to you know try to get – I, that's their run game in a way, but still that's been unsuccessful, whether it's just looking really ugly in terms of throwing the ball behind the receiver or somebody's not blocking. It's just a hodgepodge of different things, and it's not just one position group. It's a, it's all of them. So uh, everyone has kind of put their hat in the ring of, of finding a mistake <laughs> or making a mistake, and, and hopefully I know FAU has a poor defense so hopefully maybe maybe this week is the week maybe we waited till till game 10 to maybe get over the hump when you see that uab which has had a pretty good offense this year but inconsistent overall they're a three one team three and six they rolled up for 614 yards of offense against the owls they had 499 yards passing and i was listening to tom herman's press conference earlier and he basically said look they've got so many injuries specifically on the back end that they are just trying to find enough plugs to uh, you know to plug up the holes so the dam doesn't bust. That was basically his quote. And you know they're good offensively. They've got they lost their starting quarterback, but they brought in another transfer in Daniel Richardson from Central Michigan, and he's played well. They they've got a thousand yard receiver already. I don't think ECU has a receiver over four hundred yards, um, but. I don't know. Like I do feel like this is a decent matchup for ECU. The other thing I like about this game is ECU played in Boca last year. They won over USF. Totally different teams, but you do have some familiarity there. FAU is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite uh, as of this morning, so they are favored to win the game. But I do think, again, another winnable game if the offense can score enough. So what do you kind of make of this matchup? <laughs> it, it's – this is the week. I mean, honestly, thinking ahead of the schedule with Navy next week, they got a pretty stout defense. Um, 
that's the issue playing FAU is the, that team can score in spurts. I was watching some of their game on Saturday, and they were down by 14. I think it was 35 to 21, and they scored 21 points pretty quickly to go up 42-35, and then they let UAB back in it. Uh, so they can score in per, uh, spurts. Excuse me. It's a matter of how our defense, uh, you know, controls that. If we have a UTSA, I could unfortunately see a UTSA scenario all over again. Yeah where we are moving the ball offensively, but then the floodgates are open on the defensive side of the ball. So I think in this game, I know a lot of the talk and mention has been about the offense and how they respond, but I I think this game is really going to come down to the defense and how they can hold the FAU offense in check. And the ECU defense also banged up right now. They're out a couple of safeties. Ryrod Dilworth has been out. Kingston McKinstry went out last game, so you've lost your your two Sam backers. If he can't play, that forced Mike Edwards, an inside linebacker, out to outside linebacker. So they're dealing with some things right now, too. And I thought down the stretch against Tulane kind of struggled to get off the field. So, uh, you know, they've played well. They're holding teams in check from a scoring standpoint, but they also got to be on their game this week for sure. And, yeah, it could be a similar situation to UTSA. Like we said, bad teams always find a way to lose. You need all phases clicking to to win this one. All right, so ECU-FAU, that's the game this weekend. We do have some comments we'll get to. Again, you guys, feel free to to weigh in. Let us know what you want to talk about. We got some comments about NIL. We'll address that here. And, I mean, really, we're at the point now where I'll talk about the game and we can break it down, but I would rather, if you guys have comments, let that – dictate where the show goes and we'll, we'll take it from there so uh let's get to some of these uh with bobby uh michael says happy to be heading to watch hoops in person saturday excited to watch them and excuse to miss most of the football game so they did move bobby the tip off up to two o'clock to help out the fans so i was going to um actually just 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 watch the football game and let Kaysen cover the basketball game but now I get a chance to do both so uh at least Pirate fans can see both but they can go to the basketball game on Saturday and I think that should be a good one against Campbell so I think a smart move there by the administration to move the the game time up I agree it gets some fans in the seats and fans in minges awesome turnout Monday night by the student pirate club so kudos to them um and yeah get some excitement built on that momentum with basketball so a smart move for me that now I no longer have to do the two tv scenario we talked about last week so I'll have the pirate basketball on the big on the big tv and and then switch it over to football Um, so football on the small tv (laughs) yeah i have i guess penn state michigan i think play i know we'll probably get to it later but that will be on the small tv for the pirates and the camels playing basketball michael jones also wants to know why would you torture a poor baby and subject them to ecu Tulane? you know thankfully she can't see but like 12 inches in front of her right now so (laughs) she really wasn't tortured that she wasn't tortured michael i i can assure you hopefully uh you know, we may take her out to the Tulsa game depending on that time slot and how that works with the kids' naps and stuff like that. So maybe she'll get exposed to just really bad football in Tulsa and ECU, but maybe an ECU win. Tony Hicks says Rice was winnable. Charlotte was winnable. At this point, I feel like if it's a toss-up from here on out, I guess he's trying to say it's a loss. I mean, yeah, I mean, until ECU proves otherwise, Bobby, I, I do think – you know, I made the point yesterday too, ECU – to a certain extent, did take three of the top teams in the conference, more so SMU and Tulane, into the fourth quarter. And it's like, maybe you're not that far away. Those teams are combined, what, 15-0 and 0 in conference now? 
And I think UTSA was was clearly the superior team for most of the game after ECU's hot start. But, you know, I, I don't think you're that far away, but that's what makes it frustrating. You still lost to Charlotte. You still lost to Rice. And it just it all, it all comes back to you can't score enough points. Yeah, and I saw this the last two years, in all honesty. The first drive, they the coaching staff does a terrific job of scripting the first drive. Like, they seem, for the most part, to go down there and execute – Pretty sure handedly, uh, it, but the difference is, you know, Holt Nailers was able to ad lib and create as the game continued on. I still never really saw a ton of adjustments the last few years, um, but I mean, this year because they don't have that athlete back there, um, and, and the athlete they do have, and Mason Garcia, uh, maybe not as fine tuned throwing the football. So it's just looked really ugly after that first drive, and I think we've seen that the last two weeks with a great first quarter. Uh, moving the football, and then things just fall apart when defenses make adjustments. we got some comments about NIL. We'll, we'll, we'll hit on that next segment, um, specifically in terms of what we want to talk about there. We actually got Doug Gomes from Team Boneyard coming up tomorrow, so we'll discuss that, preview that maybe a little bit. Uh, Thomas on Facebook says, think we see Raheem Jeter afraid he might leave or we might be left with another what-if going into next year. I think we've had this question every week, Bobby, about Raheem Jeter. We've kind of both said Tulsa makes the most sense if you're going to like let him start a game. I, I don't know if he's the answer right now. I don't think he's ready personally to go in and start and go win a game or go try to win a game at FAU. Maybe you see him for a series. What's, what's your take on the Raheem Jeter situation, the true freshman? I understand people asking about him. Obviously, we haven't had wins and you know answers with the other two quarterbacks, but there's a reason they have not gone to him at this point in time. Uh, I've always thought the Tulsa game, if they're out of bowl contention, which they are, Navy's not the week to break them in. Don't want to break them in on the road against FAU. Let them have a home game. The other thing, honestly, I'm kind of backtracking on that. So Brett Hickman, who is one of the football analysts with uh, 247 Sports, he, he had – posted on the message board talking about seeing him throw in person and just how he's not ready. And uh, I definitely trust Brett's evaluation. Uh, for those who don't know, Brett is, you know, former FCS coach, former GA, I believe at ECU and currently at division two level Anderson. Uh, so I, I definitely trust his uh, football uh, perspective. And if he says he's not ready to get thrown into the wolves, I, I'm going to lean on the side of Brett, even though I have not personally seen him throw. And I heard, and I think Brett saw him at the Shrine Bowl last year, and I heard from some of our guys who were at the Shrine Bowl that, you know, you like the physical tools of Raheem Jeter at that time, but throwing the football was a little inconsistent. And so, you know, that was less than a year ago. Uh, that was December of last year. So I'm sure he's made progress. And I will say he made a lot of progress from the spring to preseason camp, but it's still with the issues you have offensively to like rely on a true freshman still growing to go in there and hey you're going to be the savior that's a lot i mean and, and that can ruin a kid so you have to be i'm fine with him getting a series or getting some plays and maybe even playing extended action against tulsa but it's just not as easy as hey let's go to the true freshman because the other quarterbacks haven't played well yeah we're not going to see him just thrown out there and then all of a sudden we're putting up 42 points there's a lot of other issues with this offense particularly up front and then adding in the the aspect that we don't have receivers that can catch the ball consistently nor get open consistently. It's just a recipe for disaster, just not a really good situation for any young quarterback to be in. Mike Houston was asked on Tuesday, basically, do you trust Raheem Jeter to go in when the game's on the line? His first words in the response were, I think we all have to keep in mind that he's a true freshman. 
And then he talked about, you know, he's been getting reps, he's improving. But I think him saying that kind of lends that's, to what we're saying. Yeah, that's coach speak and a kind way of putting he's nowhere near ready right now. And and that's okay. He's a freshman. Yeah. He shouldn't be relied upon right now. Uh, just sit back there, learn, develop. You know, if I were him, I'd be tagging along Alex Flynn. I think he's a, a pretty cerebral, cerebral ugh, in, in – football and understanding of coverages and that sort of thing so just sit behind him learn as much as you can and then see who they bring in from the transfer portal and see if you can you know continue to learn and develop behind that quarterback josh jackson says honestly we need to focus on prepping for next season over just trying to win obviously yes try to win but we need to really use these as prep for next year jeter's red shirt will be fine now and uh, i mean you can prep him and get him more reps and practice to build for next year and try to work him into a game I think that's fine. I think we're just saying he's not going to be the guy that goes in there and lights it up for 30 points tomorrow. Well, and to who, who made that comment? Josh, 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 to Josh's point, I mean, about worrying about next year, you've made the, the point that, you know, Mike Houston may be fighting for his job. They got to so, win games yeah, too. So. Yeah, exactly. So there's kind of both sides are fighting each other. If, if Mike Houston was assured another year, maybe he'd feel more comfortable throwing Raheem in there. But I mean, they're at the point in the season where, I mean, they're struggling mightily, and to not win against an FBS op uh, opponent, I mean, his job is on the line. So he's trying to do everything he can to save his livelihood and his career. All right, well, let's Bobby, get it. you brought up the oh, point, ahead, too, with um, – God, I lost it now. But anyways, you don't want to kill his confidence either. You, or yeah, I was going to say you brought up the point, too, that the offense has other struggles than just the quarterback position. I feel like it can hurt his development going into next year, too, if yeah. you throw him out there and it goes – to heck in a handbasket, and then you kill the kid's confidence. I agree, and I think I think even if he plays in these last three games, you still don't really know what you have because to me, he's not going to go in there and light it up. He needs another year. I think either way, you're bringing in multiple quarterbacks this offseason. What I'm yeah, trying to say. I think you're bringing in two uh, to, from the transfer portal. Maybe one of those is more of a sure thing, and then and maybe you have one that can at least compete and and push that that first guy that you bring in. But I mean, I think you got to be doing everything in your power to throw in all the NIL money you can to get a surefire starting quarterback in the portal. All right, we'll touch on the NIL topic on the other side. Uh, Bobby Harward brought to you by Sup Dogs today. Again, check them out, 213 East 5th Street. You guys know the deal. Downtown Greenville, best bar in America. Three-time victory, I believe, there for Sup Dogs, so check them out. And we'll have more with Bobby next. We'll talk NIL. We will talk also, we got a question about recruiting philosophy with quarterbacks and receivers. We'll get into that as well. This is Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. We will be right back. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Mikey. Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in. Hoist the colors on a Wednesday. Bobby Harward in studio. Philip Pilkington is producing as always. Uh, Bobby brought to us by Sub Dogs this week, 213 East 5th Street. Check us out. Sub Dogs live tomorrow night, Thursday. We may be going from 5.30 to 6.30, but we'll be going from 5 to 6. We're expected to be joined once again by former ECU quarterback Holt Nailers. So we'll have Holton there, Macy O'Donnell, former ECU receiver, will be there. We'll have some student-athletes as well. We do it every Thursday night, highlighting the student-athlete life at East Carolina University, live from Subdogs. All right, a couple comments here. Thomas says, can we talk about how impressive Pirate Nation has been? Luckily, weather has helped, but even as a one-win team, the stadium is filling up. And, I mean, there were 30, 
the announced attendance was 33,000. I don't know what the actual attendance was, Bobby, but for the amount of people to show up for a 1-7 in team that did and the atmosphere that it was, you really can't ask for anything more, I think, from Pirate fans. Yeah, I think that's what makes ECU a special place. Like, just the football culture. I mean, growing up in in Raleigh, uh, you know, we moved to North Carolina my freshman year of high school, and I had not heard of ECU to that point, to be honest. But, you know, my dad went to Duke, so we kind of followed Duke football, which was not very good during the Ted Roof era. And coming to visit ECU, I mean, I was blown away at how big the stadium was at that point. That was before the Boneyard was added. But just the the culture in general, as I've been here the last, you know, what, 14 years now, like, it, it's special. I mean, no other power or group of five place has radio stations like this one dedicated to ECU to like to the college you won't find that at FAU you won't find that at North Texas they're talking about the Cowboys and the Rangers like it's a special place it's a special culture and you know when it's when it's they're winning it's rocking so it's pretty cool yeah, it's just I think that's the frustrating thing is like if ECU played at Rice and Rice was 1 and 7 there might be 12 people there and it's just it's frustrating for ECU to have this support from the region and the fan base and not have the maybe the consistent winning program that so many feel like ECU can be uh, for a variety of reasons. We can go down that rabbit hole. We'll maybe go into it a little bit with NIL here in a second. Uh, Michael wants to know, can someone explain why we recruit nothing but athletes at quarterback who are questionable passers when we run an offense that is almost exclusively pocket passing? I mean – I think you look at ECU's recruiting under this regime, the quarterback position, they have definitely gone dual-threat guys over pocket pass. I mean, most quarterbacks are dual-threat guys right now. Nowadays, like, yeah. yeah. And, I, I mean, Michael, to answer your question, that's kind of part of why we're in this issue right, right. now, too, is they've missed on that. I think, in a way, if you look back at their time at JMU, maybe they're trying to mirror that, like – quarterback they had then I mean ran for a butt ton of yards and they were a lot of zone read quarterback power that sort of stuff um, that they probably hope to carry over but I mean we had talked about it when Houston first got hired to be able to run that scheme at JMU it worked because they have better players they have better players they they were the cream of the crop for FCS they were getting you know power five transfers that were wanting to play right away coming down and they were able to I mean they were the Alabama I guess if you want to make a comparison of the FCS so they're going to dominate the line of scrimmage. Well, here, you're not able to do that. You have to have a system in place. And I, I think Mike Houston is now learning that in, in year five. Uh, Holton Ayler's masked a lot of things the last few years. And, and now, I mean, Holton was a dual threat, but he was more capable throwing the football than what we've seen from the guys currently on the roster. The best quarterbacks in ECU history have all been dual threat. I mean, Shane Carden, probably more of a pocket passer, but he was still a good athlete. And he was just mobile enough to like extend plays. How many plays did he make where he was rolling out, throwing the ball more so than in the pocket? Oh yeah, I mean that's what I mean. It made him special. Mm -hmm. He was just such a football. He was a baller. He like, was just a, he, a football came, player. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have the strongest arm, but he was just able to roll out and make things happen, and that's what made him special. And you know, Crandall, Blake, Garrard, you can go through the list. Uh, even James Pinkney, Patrick Pinkney. Now Patrick was more of a pocket passer, but. You, you just have to have a guy who's mobile, I think. And I think it's more so they just haven't been able to find the right guy who's mobile and can throw the ball. And uh, you look at it, Mason Garcia was the first quarterback recruit of this class. 
They also took Ryan Stubblefield, who is a more of a thrower, but mobile. But the problem is he's 5'9". He has since transferred. He's the backup at Incarnate Word. They took Taji Hudson, who was moved to receiver originally as a quarterback. Uh, Walter Simmons was another athlete who really didn't stick at quarterback very long. He transferred to, I think, Bethune-Cookman. And, uh, you know, you look to Raheem Jeter, another guy who's trying to, to really figure it out, but a really good athlete. So I think there is something to that. They got to hit more on the quarterback, which is the issue now. Cole Hodge, the current quarterback commit, I think he's more of a true quarterback, but he's mobile as well. So uh, Michael says, yeah, but we never do zone read, limited quarterback power. We were scared to death of running Holton. I don't get the plan. I do think we have seen less designed quarterback runs. They were scared of running Holton because they didn't believe in the quarterbacks behind them. And maybe Which now we should see have been why. warning sign number one of getting a quarterback in the portal. Yeah. And I do think, to your point, Michael, I think some of that, too, is Alex Flynn is now the quarterback. So yeah. I think if Mason Garcia had, had won the job, you know, even when he's in there, you see more of the quarterback we running game. It. It's just yeah. not very successful. Yeah. And that's the other issue is, like, you know, it seems like all these quarterbacks they've been recruiting, they're like, okay, if he doesn't pan out, you know, we'll move him to receiver. You can do that, you know, once every three or four years, three or four cycles, but you need to have a surefire guy that you're pretty confident in. It doesn't always need to be throwing a dart blindfolded of just like, okay, maybe he'll be a quarterback and he'll be pretty good, but we can just move him to receiver. Like, you need to recruit a quarterback. Yeah, and I feel like Cole Hodge is the first one they've done, but then you can't rely in a while, but you can't rely on a guy like that to come into play right away. Mm -hmm. So, portal. All right, Aaron Murphy uh, says, has Coach Houston said what made Flynn stand out versus Mason to get the full starts? And no, he hasn't. But quite honestly, I don't think he needs to because we can all see at this point, I feel like, Mason, I think the Charlotte game was his chance to go take the job and run with it, and it just didn't work. And Flynn moves the offense better it's more competent it's not great but i think we we all can kind of see that flynn is uh is gives you the better chance offensively yeah that i think that the he it's all on tape it's everything's on tape that's why i mean unfortunately they i mean they gave to houston's credit mason every opportunity you had possible and it just for one reason or the other hasn't panned out i think it's a multitude of of different reasons but yeah i mean after that charlotte game because i was on the table like hey mason should we be all, playing yeah. mason should be playing let you know he he. i can't remember what game it was right before was it rice that i was kind of flynn didn't look great i thought mason should have came in and you SMU, know you he kind of got a little bit of burn and yeah then flynn came back in and then charlotte the week after mm -hmm. and he that was his chance and unfortunately he laid an egg and uh same saying that too i mean there was just a lot of missed opportunities early in the game that i wonder if that threw him out of whack i mean there was drop passes first the, throw of the game drop yeah yeah so it's just, it's just everything man aaron says why did it take 10 weeks of play to decide because I, I think neither quarterback really ran away with it yeah i i mean we we saw that even when alex came in all the way at app state uh, what is that second game of the year or third game of the year like you know, nobody really took over. Uh, same with Marshall. Uh, it, you know, Mason had a really long run against Marshall, I believe it was, and just you know, after outside of that play, he never really did much. It's just been so much back and forth, and you know, you see some life when Alex comes in, and then it just kind of fades after a series or two. 
Um, Mason, they're just not – unfortunately, they're not good enough up front to do what they want to do with him at quarterback. They they don't have any push at the line of scrimmage to develop any sort of run game and use the run game to set up the pass. That's what you want to do with a quarterback like Mason, and, and they're just unable to do it because of the talent or lack thereof up front. All right, let's get another break in. We'll get into the NL discussion on the other side because I don't want to start talking about it and then have to break. So we will do that, and we'll dive into that, maybe take a look around college football. Somebody brought up MJ Morse from NC State being a potential transfer option. I think he's going to get paid a lot. I don't know if ECU is the right fit there, but that's a crazy story in itself. We may touch on that, look around college football a little bit. We'll get into NIL next with Bobby Harward. We'll be right back. This is Hoist the Colors. Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. 194.3, the game. Welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. Bobby Harwood is in studio as he joins us every Wednesday. He is a, uh, I almost want to say new dad, but you've been a dad. But you're a dad to a new child. Is that the best yeah, way to say it? Yeah, yeah. Fresh newborn at the house. Learning to adjust to life with three kiddos. So he's taking some time out of his day to uh, still talk ECU football. We talked a lot of ECU football because we still have outstanding fans that care about fixing this program. Which is awesome because no other, not many places are like that. By the way, we're running a 50% off special on Hoist the Colors right now, hoistthecolors.net. This will extend through tomorrow at midnight. So if you want to get some recruiting scoop, we're about to die. I'll tell you what. I know this season has been painful, guys. The off season is where it's at. December, January, hoistacolors.net. We're going to be following the portal. Recruiting is going to pick up. So dive in now. You can get 50% off for the next year so we can follow the off season moves. It's almost like free agency at this point. Yeah. And what's awesome, too, as a uh, VIP member myself, my favorite day is uh, Monday, the VIP chat, where it's essentially an ask me anything to Steve and I go. Yeah. And you know he he lets all out all secrets of ecu athletics but in all seriousness it's a lot of inside information of you know recruiting what's going on a little bit behind the scenes maybe of what's happening within uh, you know basketball baseball football of course but uh that's one of my favorite favorite days uh following as a vip member is on monday seeing that vip chat well i appreciate the kind words it's uh when i first started i used to have like only 20 questions to answer now in a season like this it's a lot but it's you know I enjoy it too because I can sh- I, I can speak a little bit of my mind too not that I can on this show but you know when I'm writing I have to be somewhat careful about the tone VIP chat you just let it all out that's right out. that's right um, all right so tomorrow we've got Doug Gomes from Team Boneyard he is on the board he's going to be in studio we'll be taking questions uh, comments so we'll have a lot of this discussion tomorrow probably but we posted also in conjunction with that on hoistcolors.net and nil Q&A, question and answer segment with Lance Clark of Bill Clark Homes. He is, uh, you know, one of the, he's a family member of one of the biggest donors at East Carolina. And they invested $2 million in the Pirates Unite campaign last year. And basically it's just a Q&A with Lance, who is on the Team Boneyard board as well, the ECU NIL Collective, of how important NIL is, kind of where ECU needs to go from here. He talks about how crucial it is for other major donors to get behind this and i think we're finally starting to see some momentum bobby we've got several comments today about hey let's not talk about the games anymore let's just talk about nil and how ecu can improve their standing there 
And I think it's unfortunately taken the one and eight season to open some eyes. And I think some people still need to have their eyes open. But uh, it at least there's momentum now moving in, in, into the NIL space. Yeah, reading that that Q and A, two big takeaways I had that were super encouraging. Uh, number one is they have a goal that is you know pretty. It sounded like attainable, but it's much right. higher than the amount that they've had this previous year. So a the the donor increases there um maybe not quite to what they're wanting but it's still pretty substantial honestly a lot more than i thought which is encouraging number two is it looks like they're already or it seems like they're already learning a little bit more about the nil and the importance of maybe using it more as a recruiting tool within you know regulations rules, yeah. yeah which but, everybody is doing right but at least you know hey Maybe to get a really good quality player, we don't need to have it even across the board with the same amount. We may need to put, you know, more to that portal quarterback. So the fact that they're already adjusting so soon in the team boneyard process to kind of how they allocate those funds is encouraging. Lance said they raised a little over five hundred thousand dollars in uh, the 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 first year of really trying to fundraise, and four hundred thousand of that went to football and they're hoping to basically up the football only number to at least 750,000 and I've heard the American right now outside of SMU and we'll get into more of this with Doug Gomes tomorrow I think the top teams in the American are probably in that same realm up to maybe one to 1.5 million like Tulane you know I've heard USF might be up there uh, UTSA as well so I think at least if you get into that 750 to a million ballpark, Bobby, you're competitive in terms of NIL. And then it comes down to, you know, you can for me, you can have a lot of money, but you got to spend it wisely too. Otherwise, you're not doing it due diligence. So they really got to be careful, Team Boneyard and ECU, in terms of how, how you divvy up this money because you don't want to just go buy a quarterback for three hundred thousand dollars and him not be the answer so there has to be a lot a lot that goes into this yeah that you, you got to be pretty sure about who, who you're pulling in from the transfer portal um I, I do think it makes sense that i mean no offense to you know people who are you know second third string guys on the roster but in all reality to be competitive they probably should not be making as much as a starter and you know you hate saying that because you want all players to get right. the same the amount of money. Thing, it's tough, man. You right. gotta balance it all. But yes, to your point, it makes recruiting a little bit more pressure on it because you have to be right. You, I mean, you're going to be committing that. That the worst thing that can happen is you're wrong on that transfer porter, quarterback, and you're giving, we'll just say seventy thousand dollars right. to that. Those donors may be like, okay, what are we doing here? You know? Yeah. So th I mean, that's the thing too is you want to hit on it and. and Everybody. The other thing that kind of concerns me here is other teams are going to be trying to move their goalposts or their goals up too to raise more money. So how far is ECU behind, and does this close the gap most of the way, or does it still leave ECU behind? Either way, ECU has to increase the number, and I think that's going to be done, and I think we'll continue to hit on some of the things that ECU can do better along with Team Boneyard to, uh, to raise the money. You know, I keep saying ECU. ECU technically can't raise the money. It's got to be the donors. But everybody knows what I'm what I'm trying to say. It's just this whole thing, man. It's just it's it's almost crazy we've gotten to this point. But it really feels like a mini NFL, Bobby, because you know we talk about maybe this the second third stringer shouldn't make as much. Every player wants to get to the NFL. It's the same way in the league, man. If you're a star player, you get paid like one. If you're a practice squad guy, you get paid like one. Like 
to me, if I'm a player in college and I'm a second stringer and I see the first stringer getting paid more, that wouldn't tick me off. It would make, it would motivate me right. to get in that same spot. So I'm getting you know the money or whatever. Yeah, it, I mean it's a results based industry. I mean that's what it is. College football has become in a way. Uh, it's no longer amateur, really. I mean, not only you think about it, you know, what ECU and education in state, maybe total roughly 40,000 or so like that for the, you know, your four to five years. I mean, you're getting that on top of what you're getting NIL and NIL wise. So, I mean, you're, you, you got guys potentially leaving here, making a hundred thousand dollars in totality with that free education. So no longer the amateur tag to it. Um, one thing I'm curious about, and I know there's a lot of red tape and stuff with Pirate Club and how much ECU can be involved, but we talked a little last week about kind of overlapping because you have, you know, you're going to have your big donors who are able to contribute a ton of money, but majority of your donors and contributions from the average, we'll just say the average fan, you know, is not going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you're trying to balance your monthly paycheck to do I contribute to Pirate Club or do I contribute to Team Boneyard? So I'm curious, what things can they do that overlap? I know I mentioned last week, like right now, you have to donate a certain amount to get season tickets for football or other sports. Can some of that contribution to Team Boneyard be credited to be able to purchase season tickets? Or is there able to overlap that away, you know? And then kind of, I know in your Q&A, um, Mr. Clark had said, you know, everything should be, or I guess he's not going to tell you how to commit your money, but everything mostly should be going to Team Boneyard if you want to see success as quick as possible. And you add the layer of the fact that they're trying to get the indoor practice facility done to catch up facility-wise. It's just... It's a lot. It's a lot that they're trying to get done. I'm glad they're trying to adjust with the times. And, you know, a few years ago, uh, some of the administration would just sit on their hands and we wouldn't be uh, fighting for this and pursuing this as well as we are right now. And if you're eight and one right now, I think there's a push for NIL, but maybe not to the extent we're seeing from everybody yeah. because people want to get it fixed. And the easiest way to get it fixed overnight is to go out and, and purchase talent. I mean, that's just reality. Craig Littlefield says, I know NIL is an opportunity to improve, but do we not need to make sure the players we buy are coached and utilized property? And is the coaching staff we have, the group we trust, with that being they missed out on some very important recruits? I mean, that's an administrative question. I mean, that is John Gilbert's job. That's Mike Houston's job to, hey, what do we need to do offensively so when we do bring in these players, we actually have a chance to win a championship? You know, when we do have another Keaton Mitchell, Holt Naylor's, Isaiah Winstead, C.J. Johnson, how do we take that 8-5 and five season to make it 10-11 wins? I think that's a coaching administrative question. Uh, that's, you know, the, the fan base can raise the money for NIL to put. And two, regardless of who the coach is, the more NIL money you have, the, the more attractive the job's going to be. Exactly. And the other thing with the recruiting with NIL and the transfer portal, those guys are – a lot better. Right, exactly. And, like <laughs> – those guys are going to be more sure things than trying to go out to a JUCO. There's just a lot of unknowns when you bring a JUCO guy in. I mean, I think it's less than 50% the hit the hit percentage on those JUCO guys. So you're having guys that have been in a college program, most likely an FBS program of some sort. All these coaches know each other. There's a massive convention every year. So they all have each other's numbers or know somebody that knows someone on the staff and they're able to get some insider information on. So you would like to think the hit rate's going to be a little bit higher, you know, with transfer portal guys. But 
It's an interesting world of college football right now. I'm kind of, honestly, I know I'm changing the subject a little bit, interested to see how they, they said the transfer portal will be in the new NCAA football game. So what oh, is gosh. that going to look like? That's going to be nuts. And trying to incorporate NIL in that, if there's yeah. any, any of that. Um, I will say this, and Craig also said they've missed on some important recruits, and I think development, all that needs to be looked into, reassessed, uh, especially offensively. I think the defense is kind of showing they can recruit and develop there. But covering recruiting firsthand last year in the transfer portal era, they must have had 10 to 12 offensive tackles and wide receivers on campus that they were extremely close on that they just lost because they didn't have the money. And so two or three of those guys are at Virginia Tech right now. One of them went to BYU. Uh, one of the offensive linemen, I think, went to Arkansas State because they had more NIL money than East Carolina. And one of them went to Rice over ECU. So, like, some of these you're going to lose regardless. But also, if you get two of those tackles, if you get two of the receivers you really wanted, maybe we're having a different conversation now. So, it's not like they weren't trying to recruit difference makers. But when you don't have the NIL money in that time, which ECU did not have, and they weren't utilizing it on the portal – you end up with what you got. They ended up getting some transfers. They've had misses. They've had a few hits. But uh, I think they went after some of the right players, and they went after the right players when they got Isaiah Winstead, Ryan Jones, Justin Red. But, you know, they had some connections there that really helped. So I think, bottom line, the more NIL money you have, the better you're going to recruit, the better talent you're going to have. Yeah, and when you – those scenarios where we lose guys to Arkansas State and Rice, I mean, those that's a recruiting disadvantage when you cannot – say, hey, I can provide this much money through the NIL. Like, you're at a disadvantage, and especially going into this offseason, say Houston is retained and coming back, like, you know, he's going to be recruited against for the record, and, and people are going to be saying, hey, th this coach is going to be there one more year, and he's going to be fired. Well, what kind of shuts that up and rebuttals that? Money. And so when you can pay a guy, you're going to be able to recruit a little bit better than maybe, say, another 1-11 coach that does not have the funds or green to back it up. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We will try and touch on uh, college football a little bit, maybe ECU basketball as well. we got a question about that. Good discussion about NIL. Again, we'll dive into this tomorrow more with Doug Gomes from Team Boneyard. This is Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? Welcome back in to Hoist the Colors on this Wednesday. It's been a fun show. You know, I said at the beginning, so we got a few minutes left, Bobby, that I wanted to let the conversation guide us. We're really in the part where we're in the part of the season. The team's one and eight. We'll talk about the games, but everyone's ready. The fans are ready for, you know, what's next? What's going to change to fix this? So we spent a lot of time talking about NIL and other factors today. Always good when the fans participate and we can kind of let them guide the conversation. So appreciate their uh, support today and we'll, con we'll continue to do this every Wednesday and uh, to me it makes for a better show when we have this much interaction I agree it's fun it's fun getting to you know brainstorm I think we all at this point in the season just want hope we want something to look forward to and, and right now you know that is what does the offseason bring what is the transfer portal going to look like you know those are things we'll get to dive a little bit more deeper in uh once the season ends and there's some finality to everything and you know things are official with who's in the portal and and what kind of 
changes are happening. Uh, but up until that point, we're just kind of brainstorming uh, with hope. <laughs> ECU basketball, uh, we'll touch on that for a second here. Jeff says, any concern why Sear Malonga didn't get any minutes against Ferrum, the freshman big man? He says, thought he would at least – Make an appearance that like Callum Richard was good with his feet and switching on picks in the short time he was in. I was a little surprised to Corey Faison and Malonga didn't play. I, I don't think ECU got enough of a lead in the first half to get those guys in. I you know, Ezra Asar played two minutes last year in the opener. He played single digit minutes in five or six of the first seven games. So I'm not gonna overreact to who's playing and who's not necessarily. I do think we'll see Sear. They also only had players over 6'6". I think they only had one player over 6'6", so it wasn't a great matchup for a big man. But uh, I think we'll see him in, in some coming games. Did you get a chance to watch the uh, the Farum game? Any takeaways from the Mike Schwartz second-year opener? I was I was surprised that some more of the young guys did not get in. But then I also, as I said that, I, I you know played devil's advocate in my head and was like, okay, they're probably not – big enough size-wise to put him in, so maybe it's a little awkward. Um, I was a little disappointed. I know Schwartz was really disappointed about the defense, but, you know, I'm glad we started to pull away and um, beating a Division three team by 30, which you should do. Uh, looking at some of the other scores in the American, SMU only beat an NAI team, NAIA team by 19 points. So, you know, good start to the season. Most important thing is they got to win, whether it was by one or 30, and just continue to build the momentum against Campbell. I I was impressed how they shot the ball. I thought that's the best they've shot the ball in a while, at least consistently. Yeah, got to the free throw line and shot it well from the line. 30 of 39, Ezra made 7 of 10 free throws. And if he makes free throws, he's going to have a monster year because he is basically unguardable with his size and speed-power combination. He is just so quick and powerful at that size. But And two, I also wonder if you're Mike Schwartz, what do you really want to show in a game like this? Yeah, that's what's so funny. I know watching my brother G8 at, at Wilmington under Kevin Keats and talking to him, I, you know, watching basketball as a fan, I kind of always thought they just go out there and run around. But th there's there's a lot play, a ton of plays that are happening each possession and, you know, sets and that sort of thing. So to your point, you probably don't want to show much. Uh, we'll probably see a little bit more of that here against Campbell. Uh, but really, you just want to see – the guys compete, uh, especially against the D3 team, and, and, and they did that. I thought they did really well, and I was just really excited, too. The fan turnout for a Division three opponent, uh, that's awesome. 20 home games this year. The new lights were, were sweet. The new purple seats were great. It sounds like they want to maybe look into doing the purple seats all around the lower bowl, which will be cool. I'll say, watching it on TV, I told my wife, I said, finally, it does not look like a high school gym on TV. Yeah. Um, side note too, talking about that, I was watching North Texas play last night. I, I was like kind of shocked how nice their stadium nice. looked. But uh, to your point, ECU's looked great. The purple seats were awesome. Um, I do wish they would flip the view or at least to flip the student section maybe and have them uh, on the camera side. But it is what it is. Uh, it looked like a fun atmosphere. They got a win. Excited to see the ladies play tomorrow night. I'm gonna take the kids to the to the women's game against South Carolina Upstate. You're going to see the banner unveiled. We, Hopefully we, may we, need you to, we may need you to bring us a replica banner because Joe can't. So if you can, grab us a few extra ones. I'll, I'll try my best. I'm sure my kids uh, will care less about those right. things and I can grab some from them. But uh, I think they're more excited just to eat popcorn and pizza. Or I know, Philip. I heard you don't really like the pizza over at Minji's, but uh, it gets keeps the kids occupied. There you go. 
Well, uh, we, well, I guess we're up against it time-wise. We'll, great show, Bobby. We'll get you back on next Wednesday. And uh, appreciate all the comments. And we'll see you then again. Bobby brought to you by Subdogs today. We'll check up with him next Wednesday on Hoist of Colors. And appreciate everybody listening. We'll be back tomorrow at 12 noon. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things 